0: Yeah, 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 I'm still here after all these years, after all these tears I shared. So Welcome back to I'm Still Here. I'm Heather Jose and I am, uh, I was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer in 1998 um, at the age of 26. And if you've been with us for a little bit, you have definitely heard my story. But today I have a friend with me. Um, Chris is here to share her story, um, and we we met because of metastatic breast cancer. So, Chris, can you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Chris Stark, and I um,
1: was diagnosed at first when I was 30 back in 2008, mm-hmm. and then um, stage two at that time, mm-hmm. and then diagnosed um, at age 39 in 2016 at stage four.
0: Okay. So at age 30, you had, your kids were how old? They were four and six. Okay. And well, what did you do for treatment then? Or what was the plan?
1: I had a double mastectomy at the University of Michigan. Okay. And from there I had um, chemotherapy. I did not have to do radiation because of the mastectomy. And then I was just followed closely you know, every three months, every six months. And yeah. then I graduated. <laughs>
0: Uh, did you ring a bell
1: you know I didn't my cancer center didn't have a bell so yeah I I have never been a bell ringer
0: yeah it's funny I mean so I think it's it's one of those things that again in the metastatic world like ringing a bell is like oh come on because you know treatment never really ends right right so um so but 39 or so 30 and 39 so nine years in between, mm-hmm. I would guess you were probably pretty used to just kind of scanning for things or, you know, going through the process. Mm-hmm. Um, what chair what I don't know how did, how would you explain getting that diagnosis. So, um, it's kind of a, an interesting
1: story I um, was actually being treated for a reoccurring urinary tract infection. Okay. And, um, my primary care doc had sent me to a urologist who ordered a CAT scan and lo and behold when they were scanning um, my kidneys for kidney stones they found um, mets to my lungs like it was totally I didn't have any symptoms that Mm -hmm. cancer might have been back other than I had a reoccurring urinary tract
0: infection. Wow wow yeah and um, having been stage two initially and then Mm -hmm you know, stage four, tell me about yeah. that.
1: Yeah. So it was stage two by size. Mm-hmm. Um, it hadn't spread into my lymph nodes, but it, the tumor itself in my breast was big enough to be considered stage two. Okay. And, um, you know, I, you know, all about the outlook for early, early detection and everybody that I met with was very confident that I'd have a double mastectomy, have chemotherapy be followed for five years. I mean at the point that I became stage 4 I hadn't seen an oncologist in 4 years. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. I mean it was it was a shock. Um, I always suspected. I always obviously knew it could come back. I had friends that it had come back, but yeah. I figured there'd be symptoms that came with it.
0: <laughs> I figured there'd be symptoms too, but Right. Yeah. Not, no. I guess there were some for me. I just didn't really realize that. Right. So then so what was what happened with that being metastatic? What What did you do for?
1: Um, there? Gotta think back. What did I, the first thing we did was um, I, I saw my oncologist here, but we went right to U of M. I had a lung biopsy there so we could, you know, get all the information that we needed about the tumor so we knew how to treat it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then my oncologist at U of M worked with my local oncologist because it's about three and a half hours for three hours for us. Yeah. Um, And so we developed a plan and, um, I took Ibrance for four and a half years, which was an oral drug that worked very, very well for me with very minimal side effects. Okay.
0: And did you, you were still working?
1: I was, I was still working Mm full-time. I continue to work full-time until it'll be two years next month.
0: Okay. Um,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And, um, your kids then were, I. I should be able to do math but a little bit older. Yeah
1: so they were 13 and 15 when it came back which was much harder I mean how was harder on them when they were yeah. four and six they didn't really get you know absolutely. they, they knew cancer might make you bald you know they right. knew people could die from it but it was really whatever we made it out to be at that point because yep. they were so young and we made it to be this not a big deal and that's that, how, how they saw it. So it was a lot harder, um, at 13 and 15, because they've then experienced people who have had cancer and died of cancer and obviously the internet and all the things at their fingertips. Well, and even some of the,
0: like we were talking prior to starting this a little bit, all of the pink stuff that happens, right? Right. I'm sure, you know, your schools also participate in some of that. And yeah, yeah. So
1: all the pink, I mean, I can think about all the times when my son was little, all the pink socks we bought for football games and, Mm -hmm. you know, all those, those things, they have a different meaning when you're stage four.
0: Yeah. So it was, you know, how did you, how did you put it to them? Or did you just kind of?
1: So we were very honest from the very beginning that we were stage four. We were hopeful that there were going to be treatments that were going to give me a good quality of life, but You know, these are, these are the statistics and these are the facts. Um, We kind of figured with the internet at their hands, living in a small town and just doing what was right. We knew that we just needed to be completely honest and upfront with them. And and to this day, we still are. Every time that I've had progression, I've said, well, we're not going to tell the kids so we can all be together. Well, within three hours, you know, we're FaceTiming or whatever. And I'm just telling them because it's just information that's hard to take from them. Yeah. Okay.
0: So let's talk a little bit, I mean, progression, which is probably the scariest word, right? In all of this.
1: Yep, for sure. So the first round of progression I had um, was after four and a half years of my initial stage four diagnosis. Mm. Um, And again, I didn't have any symptoms. I was seen at that point every six months for what would be considered a routine CAT scan. And it picked up that the tumors in my lungs um, were growing. So in my first four and a half years of treatment, I never, I had one, I should say, time where um, tumors had shrunk in my lungs. That's where oh my my, my cancer is. But um, since then, I just remained stable, which in the beginning was, I didn't like the word stable. I, I wanted it to go away. And then you yeah, quickly right. um, hear other people's stories and you realize that stable is really, it's, it's a good
0: well, to have. Like,
1: yeah, yeah absolutely yeah um so uh real briefly after that I had a treatment for about four months that was terrible it made me feel terrible made me look terrible and it didn't work so okay. we moved we moved on quickly um my oncologist was a big advocate for clinical trials okay and In my limited knowledge of cancer treatment at the time, I always saw clinical trials as like the end, like that was the last resort. That's what people did when they ran out of all their options. And so after a lot of discussions with her and some discussions with um, my oncologist at U of M and some own education, I realized that kind of... Qualifying for a clinical trial is like winning the lottery almost in the cancer yeah. world. It's like Absolutely. I have friends that have now passed on that would have loved to have qualified for a clinical
0: Absolutely. trial. Absolutely.
1: So I decided to go that route. And okay. the first clinical trial that I did was oral and mm-hmm. it worked for 10 months. And okay. so uh, with progression, typically the drug timeline can kind of get smaller and smaller pretty quickly. Okay. Um, So we were, we were really, I mean, we were bummed that we had progression, but we were happy that we had 10 really good months on that drug Yeah. Um, And so I just last week started my, I guess it would be my fourth line treatment and it's also Mm -hmm. a clinical trial. It is um, IV, but it's really pretty fascinating how far treatments have come. It's an antibody treatment and it is designed to attack the cancer cells. And then the little bit of chemotherapy that's in with this antibody treatment is designed to then eradicate those cancer cells. Okay. So um, the whole purpose is that you'll feel well and yes, feel well and and so I'll have my second treatment on Monday. But so far, so good.
0: Awesome. So how often are you doing
1: that? I'm doing it every other week. So it's a phase one trial and, um, the, a big purpose of phase one is to figure out what the actual dosing is, what people mm-hmm. can tolerate. Mm-hmm. So, um, they can do this drug every week or they can do it every other week, every four weeks. So my doctor started me right in the middle, knowing we can increase it or decrease it as needed.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And how have you been feeling? Good. I felt great. That's awesome.
1: Other than a short stint with uh, COVID last week, I don't know that I really had many side effects.
0: <laughs> <cytokines. laughs> it's like, of course, does that have to come? Also? I know. Yeah. It's been rearing its head again lately. I feel it like it has. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs>
1: oh, so, but it was—it was interesting. I went two months without any treatment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, just. The, uh, there's a washout period usually between treatments and then qualifying for the clinical trial and everything mm-hmm. that goes along with that. I have a port put in that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting how that two weeks goes by in the first month I was still saying washing out the other chemo But okay. within the last like three, four weeks have been amazing because I really, I'm like, Oh, this is what it's like to feel normal. Like you, like okay. all of the side effects were gone and it's kind of you we're so used to what our normal is, we kind of forget what a real normal might be like.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mm-hmm. I think that's true. I think it's that kind of balance of like, you know, wanting to live this really normal life, right, mm-hmm. but having to accept that there are things that are going to be issues, right, for right.
1: when you're mm-hmm. on a
0: medication, when you're, you know, doing those, th- you know, all sorts of things pop up, but absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Chris, so like when we, a few weeks, it's been, I don't know, a month or two ago when um, mm-hmm. Katie and I talked and the, yeah. the, the three of us yeah. oftentimes talk together mm-hmm. and, and I think it's always, um, I so appreciate you coming on and talking about something that everybody, everybody worries about, right, mm-hmm. progression, yeah. and it's really hard to talk about, um, but it's also very much a reality of Mm -hmm. of this world and and what would you say in terms of is there how have you felt supported or what helps you when you as you've had to deal with this a couple times Um,
1: that's a hard question to answer um I think I find a lot of my hope in the fact that I continue to qualify for these clinical trials. Yeah. It's, it's exciting to be part of how science is progressing and especially progressing away from the traditional yes. chemotherapy and, um, that type of thing. Uh, I like saying that, like I haven't, uh, a plethora of, friends out there, mainly in the virtual world, but some yeah. that I've known personally, like Laura and Rhonda, that mm-hmm. they would have given anything to be in my shoes to have these opportunities. Yeah. So I, even though, like, I can't say that there's like the circle of support. Of course, I have support from my friends and family, but they don't, they try to understand what I'm going through, but they don't really understand sure. what I'm going through. Yeah. Um, but really just the support I, the fact that science is evolving and I keep qualifying for these scientific treatments is where I find Mm -hmm.
0: support. Okay.
1: If that makes
0: sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, to me, it's, you know, having watched you as, you know, this has happened. I, every time I think, oh, this is going to be the one, like this is the one, you know what (laughs) I mean? And that's what I just, I keep hoping too, like, this is going to be the one that just says, nope, we'll quiet yep. this right down you yep. know and give you years and and mm-hmm. it's like what is that magic bullet and I, I right. know it sounds maybe like crazy optimistic but I'd I'd rather live that way than absolutely you know For sure. so yeah yeah so speaking of living that way um yeah. your your kind of tagline is get busy living yes yeah tell me a little um, bit about that
1: Yeah. So in my early stages of stage four, um, I think, you know, you obviously, you know, of Laura McGregor and her Hope Scarves foundation. And so she grew up in, in the same little community that I grew up in. So, um, and we were diagnosed early stage at the same time, and then fairly similar stage, um, late stage. And she and I would talk on occasion and there's, two things that she said and did that really resonated with me. One of them was one day she said, somebody had passed this along to her and just said, you know, don't be sad. Why would you want to spend your day sad? And so any, and of course we have somewhat sad days, but we both know that a positive outlook is way better for our mindset and mindfulness than a negative. And so anytime that I felt like feeling sorry for myself, that would like ring a bell. Like why, why would I want to spend my day being sad? and then one day out of the blue in the mail i got this t-shirt i actually have it on <laughs> oh, Laura. Oh. She, she sent it to me and it said get busy living and it was just like how fitting is this for yeah. our, our life and it i just kind of took it and ran with it so
0: yeah yeah so um so whenever we see chris doing something fun there's yeah. always a get busy living <laughs> beside it and i think it's not always even the fun things, right? It's just, um, cancer is always a reminder that we get one shot, right? Right. One shot at this life and it's precious. And, and i being in moments are, are so it just, it mat It makes all the difference, right? We want to be in the moment. So big ones and little ones and whatever it looks like. Right. Right.
1: For sure. Yeah.
0: So um, if, as far as family structure, we have some similarities. We both were, I, we both have husbands who coach football for a million years. And, yes. And <laughs> sons who played. And yes. And, um, you have a boy and a girl, and I do too. Yeah. Where are they at in life now?
1: So Bryce is a senior in college. He is no longer playing football, but he is coaching high school football under his former high school coach. Awesome. Um, yeah, so that's been fun. And then my daughter is a freshman at Grand Valley. So we are officially empty nesters until May.
0: Yeah. What do you think of that?
1: It's been great. Yeah. No, for me, it was never this sad thing. It wasn't, oh my gosh, my kids are leaving. What am I going to do next? It was, oh my gosh, I'm here to see my kids leave. Yeah. And this is what I raised them to do. And I'm here to see it, which is a bonus.
0: It is a bonus. I think, again, that perspective uh, I felt very much the same way of course my son he left and then came back fairly quickly so I was like wait I was so ready <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but no it is all about kind of you know taking the things that we've learned and mm-hmm. and and going from there so Absolutely. Um, what about work yeah so I um,
1: kind of I always told myself when I was first diagnosed, I'm not going to let cancer define me. And if I quit working, I'm letting cancer define me. Okay. And then as time went on and I had a, I had a demanding job in healthcare administration. Um, and I'd come home and often take a nap before the kids got home or before we made dinner. And, um, again, it was another cancer friend, Rhonda Brewer when mm-hmm. her last days of her life, cause she was a rock star and she literally closed on a house and then went into hospice, she said to me, Chris, don't work until you die. Yeah. And it was kind of my aha moment that why, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And so I applied for long-term disability through my company mm-hmm. and I was granted it because I am technically terminal. And, yes. um, it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. And then shortly after that, I did have progression, which was, yeah. I wasn't going to work past that anyway, but, um, just having that whole senior year with my daughter and being home every day when she got home and having meals for her and not being exhausted and, um, just all the things that my husband, the slack, my husband picked up because I was working and exhausted and just being able to be that normal mom and wife that I've wanted to be. has been amazing for me. It was one of the best choices I ever made.
0: I totally agree. I mean, I spent a lot of years, um, you know, on disability and mm-hmm. um, I agree. I think for me, mm-hmm. I needed that time to be able to focus on myself or to be able to put in the energy to myself and also my family. I don't know yeah. if I could have split it with work also. And right, and yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I, I agree. We all know that. We all hear like nobody's going to say, oh, work more. I wish I'd right work more. Right. You know what I mean? So I think a lot of times people are scared to try to access some of those things, but, but sometimes Mm -hmm. they, they work out too. They do. Yeah.
1: I got this fun little side gig, um, pouring beer at our favorite brewery in town. I love it. I do that like a day a week and it's like a little family down there. And Mm -hmm. if anybody could have told me that work could be so much fun again. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Chris, there's so much that you can, uh, you can teach us about, about living this whole thing, you know, Mm -hmm. but I can't remember how we met at the beginning. Do you?
1: I don't. I mean, I remember right away hearing about you, right? I bought your book and read it and um, Ron and I would sit and, and talk about you and how we wanted to meet you and be just like you. <laughs> um, I've often said you're my hero because you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, was it somebody put together like a, a Michigan meeting or something? I think. Okay. Maybe, maybe not I don't, either, I, was <laughs> it the first like little
0: dinner <laughs> thing that we did? I think it was. Okay.
1: Yeah, okay. I think it was.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Katie's probably partially responsible for that because I feel like she. Yeah. And I think
1: Trish wasn't Trish a big part of that? Oh, maybe. I think she might have been.
0: Okay. Yeah, Yeah. she was doing the the whole more of the Michigan stuff in general. Right. So.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, What would you tell people that were just diagnosed?
1: What would I tell people that were just diagnosed? Don't read the stuff on the internet.
0: Mm. Amen, <laughs> um, and
1: just, you know, find a, a good headspace and find hope because it's so easy to go down the dark tunnel, hopeless tunnel of what your life mm. might be like and just and find hope. I think mindfulness and that whole being in a good place, your attitude isn't gonna save your life, but it is definitely gonna help
0: your quality of life. It absolutely. is absolutely mm-hmm. yeah. Um, did you do you do? I see you sometimes on social media. I think we are both kind of on there a little, but not a ton. Do you do mm-hmm. like groups, Facebook groups, things like that?
1: Um, yes. I mean, I'm part of a bunch of them. I'm not a very active participant in mm-hmm. them. Um, I won't lie. When I was first diagnosed, like that was I, uh, what I did. Like that was yeah. I read everything. I wanted to know all the stories, the good and the bad, and then. I think as you learn more about yourself you you realize what works for you and
0: yeah yeah I mean we can't boy we can't replicate the stories anyway right even if you wanted to right so Mm -hmm. it's it's really um are you still involved with hope scarves any of those kind of things
1: not a lot um yeah not a lot I I try to figure out all the time like I've said this for years since I was diagnosed, like, okay, what's the purpose in this? What's, what's my mm-hmm. role supposed to be? And I, have I, it really just resonated with me, my, just to be a mom and to yeah. focus on my family and to, yeah. to work on my health and to be as healthy as I can. And now that the kids are out of the house and I have way more free time, free time yep. than I did, I, I keep thinking like, okay, do I, do I have a bigger purpose in this, but I don't really know what I want my voice to be. I've, I've done, I've been to some of the Metavivor events. They're mm-hmm. fabulous. I've um, helped with the color of courage through Hope Scars. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just not really sure what my calling is.
0: Yeah. And I think sometimes it doesn't have to be cancer related because I think again, that it just so relates back to how we live our lives. Right. And right. even so much, you know, what, what you're showing your kids too, in terms of Im- Im- importance of being in m- moments and, you know, mm-hmm. I think sometimes, yeah, it doesn't have to be all one thing and it might be just even right. the fun and the, the attitude mm-hmm. that you have on, on days that you're hanging out pouring beer you know right yeah yeah being able to share that and inspiring people and Mm -hmm. just showing them that way so yeah yeah well do you have anything else you want to tell the tell the podcast people (laughs) not that I can think of right now
1: okay yeah
0: so I was thinking maybe sometime if we Mm -hmm. can uh make it work we'll see if we can uh get our husbands all to jump on here too yeah and, that'd be fun talk about a little bit about caregiving and and supporting mm-hmm. each of us through all of that um Absolutely. i i know i've tried to get larry to talk about it and he has a little bit but he's fairly reluctant in that oh, i just did what i was going to do but i think there is really a big mm-hmm. a big piece in that as well mm-hmm. so for sure yeah, yeah. but i just want to say thank you for coming yeah on. thanks yeah. for having me yeah and and maybe um we could also just do a, a Chris and Katie meeting yeah, at some time too to talk about. Just I'm sure mm-hmm. there's other things as well. And yeah, that awesome ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still
1: here after all these years. After all these tears I shed, I'm
0: still here
1: and i'm walking this earth like i should be
0: there was days that i didn't know if i would be yeah yeah now i stand tall with my feet
1: in the ground and my head in the clouds cause i'm still here like i should be yeah yeah like i knew that i could be
0: here we go here we go Hey, everyone, I hope you love this episode If I'm Still Here, and I wouldn't want you to miss out on what comes next. So be sure to rate, review, and follow this show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, especially if you found it helpful. We need all the shares, likes, stars, and love we can get. We'd also love to hear from you. Leave your comments and questions, and we'll incorporate them into future episodes. Have a great day.